On this vote, the yeas are 50, the nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided, the Vice President votes in the affirmative, and the bill, as amended, is passed. What? What? From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast. That's heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in Nolens on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle. On KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. Not that Earth needs a blanket. Blanketing the Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for uh, an actual thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Let's start here. On June 11, 1986, more than 36 years ago now, under the headline, quote, a dire forecast for greenhouse earth, the Washington Post reported on its front page at the time, if you can imagine such a thing, quote, by the middle of the next century, area residents can expect three months of daily temperatures above 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 12 days of temperatures above 100 degrees and 19 nights when the temperature does not fall below 80 degrees, according to NASA research on the quote, Greenhouse effect created by pollutants. In testimony yesterday, the Post wrote in 1986, before the Senate panel, Goddard Space Flight Center official James E. Hansen said that less drastic temperature increases will be evidence much sooner and that within 15 years, global temperatures will rise, quote, to a level which has not existed on Earth in the past 100,000 years. The warning came, according to the Post at the time, as a Senate Environment and Public Works subcommittee opened two days of hearings on the impact of man-made pollutants on the atmosphere. 
Scientists have long warned, they wrote back then, that carbon dioxide from fossil fuels is accumulating in the upper atmosphere with other pollutants, such as methane, trapping heat, as a greenhouse, uh, as a greenhouse does. Hansen and other scientists at the hearing that day, the first in the U.S. Senate on global warming and the greenhouse effect, said that evidence of the warning of the warming trend is, quote, overwhelming. Indeed, by 1986, many scientists had long warned about the effects of climate warming gases such as carbon dioxide and methane caused by the burning of fossil fuels, including, as we know, scientists at major fossil fuel companies like Exxon and Shell, though they and other corporations controlling the most profitable industry in the history of mankind would ultimately go on to spend tens of millions of dollars over the next several decades hoping to confuse the public by lying to them about the dangers of their own products. Six years ago, in 2016, Washington Post's Chris Mooney wrote on the then 30th anniversary of Hansen's initial red flag warning to the U.S. Senate, quote, it was such a different time, and yet the message was so similar. On June 10 and 11 of 1986, the U.S. Senate Committee on the Environment and Public Works commenced two days of hearings con convened by Senator John H. Chafee, Republican of Rhode Island, on the subject of the greenhouse effect and climate change. This is not a matter of Chicken Little telling us the sky is falling, Chafee said at the hearing. The scientific evidence, he said, is telling us we have a problem, a serious problem. The hearing garnered considerable media coverage at the time in a day when such dire warnings actually merited front page coverage, if you can imagine such a thing, including on the front page of The Washington Post. A newly elected senator at the time from Tennessee, a guy by the name of Al Gore, who, as a congressman, had already held several House hearings on the matter, he declared, quote, there is no longer any significant difference of opinion within the scientific community about the fact that the greenhouse effect is real and already occurring. He went on to cite a, uh, a meeting held in Australia the previous year, that would have been 1985, which concluded that, quote, as a result of the increasing greenhouse gases, it is now believed that in the first half of the next century, the 21st century, that would be this century, a rise of global mean temperature could occur, which is greater than any in man's history. The New York Times also covered that 1986 hearing, writing uh, that, quote, the rise in carbon dioxide and other gases in the Earth's atmosphere will have an earlier and more pronounced impact on global temperature and climate than previously expected, according to evidence presented to a Senate subcommittee today in 1986. Two years later, still more famously, NASA's James Hansen would testify in another series of hearings that had an even greater public impact when it came to consciousness raising, in part because at that point he said that the warming of the globe caused by humans was already detectable. It was no longer in the future. 
He said, quote, it is time to stop waffling so much and say that the evidence is pretty strong that the greenhouse effect is here. That's what he said back then, 1988, warning that the evidence was even clearer than it had been just two years earlier. I would like to draw three main conclusions. Number one, the Earth is warmer in 1988 than at any time in the history of instrumental measurements. Number two, the global warming is now large enough that we can ascribe with a high degree of confidence a cause and effect relationship to the greenhouse effect. And number three, our computer climate simulations indicate that the greenhouse effect is already large enough to begin to affect the probability of extreme events such as summer heat waves. That was James Hansen in 1988. At the time, uh, two years earlier, in 1986, scientists were still mostly predicting the future rather than saying that they had measured and documented a clear warming trend, as Hansen was referring to there, one that could be clearly distinguished from natural climate variability because, yeah, the climate does change. And that uh, it was already having a demonstrable effect at that time by 1988. Thirty years ago, said uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island, uh, told The Post back in 2016, quote, we had a Republican senator, John Chafee, from White House's own Rhode Island, who was leading the charge on addressing what he said was then a real and serious threat of climate change from the emission of gases from fossil fuel burning. Recalling those 1986 hearings, White House said, quote, you can read through all the things that Senator Chafee said back then, and it has all been proven true. It is very disappointing, he noted in 2016, that 30 years later, there is no such voice anywhere in the Republican Senate. And if you look for a micron of daylight between what the fossil fuel industry wants and what the Republican Party in the Senate does, you won't find it. That first hearing, warning about climate change due uh, uh, to global warming from the burning of fossil fuels in the U.S. Senate, that was 36 years ago. Ironically enough, in the U.S. Senate, often described as the cooling saucer to the U.S. House. 36 years, and it took until just this past Sunday before they finally acted on those warnings in anything that can be described as a substantive way, even with all the compromises they needed to make with one coal state senator who makes his fortune and fills his campaign coffers with fossil fuel industry money. Well, they finally did it. And not one Republican, not one Republican voted in its favor. Not one. On Sunday... Sunday afternoon, Democrats passed uh, a $750 billion health care tax and climate bill in a significant victory for President Joe Biden and his party, according to CNN. The final party line vote was 51 to 50, with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie. The package is the product of painstaking, now years-long negotiations and its final passage, if it passes in the U.S. House later this week, I'm sure it'll all go fine. 
That would give Democrats a chance to achieve major policy objectives ahead of the upcoming critical midterm elections, when there will be, by the way, a whole lot on the ballot, from the climate to reproductive freedoms to democracy itself, just to name a few. The Democrat-controlled House is expected to take up this legislation on Friday, August 12, where they must approve the bill before Biden can sign it into law. The sweeping bill, named the Inflation Reduction Act, despite the measure's lack of inflation reduction measures, uh, but named that way in no small part to give West Virginia's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin some cover to sign on and to give the Democrats a helpful-sounding name for the measure in advance of the November midterms. Well, it would represent the largest climate investment by far in U.S. history. And as if that's not enough, it would also make major changes to health policy by giving Medicare the power for the first time, finally, to negotiate the prices of prescription drugs, which has been a progressive priority for decades now. It places a cap on out-of-pocket spending on pharmaceuticals at $2,000 a year for some 64 million elderly Americans who are on, Medi uh, on Medicare. And it extends expiring health care subsidies for millions of Americans who are on the Obamacare exchanges for three more years. It will do things like cap expensive insulin costs for millions of patients with diabetes at just $35 a month. Though Republicans were successful in forcing an amendment to this bill to apply that cap only to those on government insurance, they voted to remove that cap for those on private insurance. All the Democrats voted to keep the uh, insulin payments to no higher than $35 a month for everyone on private or public insurance. But the vast majority of Republicans voted against that. In order, I guess, to help Big Pharma continue to gouge people who have no choice but to use their drugs because they have diabetes. Because the Senate parliamentarian ruled that that measure on for those on private insurance could not be passed under the reconciliation rules that allow these this measure to be passed by just 50 votes. No, to limit it to $35 a month for insulin for people on private insurance, well, 60 votes was needed to overcome the Republican filibuster, and just seven Republicans were willing to vote to keep those costs down for Americans. So the measure failed. That part. The legislation would also reduce and even pay down some of our deficit over the next 10 years, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, through new taxes on huge corporations that make more than $1 billion in profit each year, including a 15 percent minimum tax on the largest of those corporations making more than a billion dollars a year in profit. And it would add a 1% tax on stock buybacks by those companies. And it would boost the IRS's ability to collect taxes from cheaters. The package also keeps Biden's long pledge to not raise any taxes on those earning less than $400,000 a year. That is true, no matter how much you will hear from Republicans lying to you to the contrary. And they are, will and they are already doing it. And they are going to do it between now and November, no matter what the truth is. Don't believe them because they are lying. 
The Inflation Reduction Act will raise more than $700 billion in government revenue over 10 years. It will spend over $430 billion to reduce carbon emissions and extend subsidies for health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. And then it will use the rest of the new revenue to reduce the deficit. You know, that other thing that Republicans used to act like they cared about. More than $370 billion of that spending would go to combat climate change in various ways, which I will discuss with my guest momentarily. Senate Democrats, with the narrowest, narrowest of majorities, literally just 50 votes in the 100-seat Senate and a tie-breaking vote from Vice President Harris, managed perhaps the greatest feat of all, especially for Democrats— to stay unified in order to pass this legislation using the special filibuster-proof process largely available to them just once a year to approve the measure without any Republican votes. And lucky they were able to do that. Final passage in the Senate came after a marathon series of contentious amendments over the weekend, votes known as a voterama that stretched nearly 16 hours from late Saturday night until Sunday afternoon. In his final remarks before the uh, final Senate vote on Sunday, Democratic Senator, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who stunned pretty much everyone in D.C., including in his own Democratic caucus in the Senate, with his successful secret negotiations with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, which pretty much everyone thought had been a dead letter just over a week or so ago, Chuck Schumer offered these remarks before passage. It's been a long tough and winding road, but at last, at last, we have arrived. I know it's been a long day and a long night, but we've gotten it done. Today, after more than a year of hard work, the Senate is making history. I am confident the Inflation Reduction Act will endure as one of the defining legislative feats of the 21st century. Our bill reduces inflation, lowers costs, creates millions of good-paying jobs, and is the boldest climate package in U.S. history. This bill will kickstart the era of affordable clean energy in America. It's a game-changer. It's a turning point, And it's been a long time in coming. To Americans who've lost faith that Congress can do big things, this bill is for you. To seniors, who face the indignity of rationing medications or skipping them altogether. This bill is for you. And to the tens of millions of young Americans who have spent years marching, rallying, demanding that Congress act on climate change, this bill is for you. That was Chuck Schumer. Uh, commenting just before the passage of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Of course, the biggest climate package in U.S. history. Well, that ain't saying a lot. Uh, but Joe Manchin said after the vote, quote, I think we'll all benefit, benefit from it. The country will. We have energy security and we have the ability to invest in the energy of the future said Manchin. President Biden praised the Senate for passing the bill in a statement on Sunday, thanking Democrats in the chamber, touting the legislation's climate investments and its health care provisions. Today, he said Senate Democrats sided with American families over special interests, voting to lower the cost of prescription drugs, health insurance and everyday energy costs and reduce the deficit. 
while making the wealthiest corporations finally pay their fair share. Biden said, I ran for president, promising to make government work for working families again. And this is what this bill does, period, he said. After the bill passed, longtime climate change journalist turned climate activist Bill McKibben tweeted, quote, 34 years and 40 days ago, Jim Hansen wrote, broke the news of global warming to the U.S. Senate. Finally, today, they act, wrote McKibben. It's late, it's deeply compromised, and it's also a great victory for all who have fought so long and hard. Thanks to all of you and on to the next battles. Indeed, compromises did have to be made to win over the two obstructionist Democrats, Manchin and Cinema, including on the climate, though Cinema actually managed to add some $4 billion for Western states amid our extreme ongoing drought out here. But many longtime climate scientists and activists are hailing Sunday's vote as a tremendous win. One of those longtime climate scientists, the great Dr. Michael E. Mann, he joins us next on the broadcast. And if time allows, I'd love I'd love your calls today on the passage of this bill, whether you support or oppose it and what it may mean not only for the climate in the long term, but even for Democrats chances in this November's midterms in the short term. Our number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, if you would like to queue up now. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. Yeah, no kidding. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The more you ignore climate change, the worse it's going to get. But here's the good news. Democrats defied the odds and enraged Republicans on Sunday by pushing their election year economic package to uh, to passage on Sunday in the U.S. Senate. AP describes it as a hard-fought compromise, less ambition, uh, ambitious than President Joe Biden originals, President Joe Biden's original domestic vision, but one that still meets deep-rooted party goals of slowing global warming, moderating pharmaceutical costs, and taxing immense corporations. The estimated $740 billion package now heads to the U.S. House, where lawmakers are poised to deliver on Biden's priorities, which would be a stunning turnaround of what had seemed a lost and doomed effort, really just over a week or so ago. But it suddenly roared back to political life. Cheers broke out as Senate Democrats held uh, united 51 to 50 
Vice President Kamala Harris casting the tie-breaking vote after an all-night session. And while this bill does a lot of good stuff, there was much that obstructionist Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema were able to block, to block the entire rest of their caucus from doing, including a greater expansion of health care and child care and elder care and free pre-K and community college, and much more that had been included in the Democrats' earlier iterations, supported by Every Democrat in both chambers of Congress and the White House, but it was blocked by every single Republican and, yes, those two Democrats, Manchin and Cinema. Before final passage, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, quote, the Senate is making history. I am confident the Inflation Reduction Act will endure as one of the defining legislative feats of the 21st century. But the bill's largest spending by far is on climate and energy, and it is a long overdue down payment on tackling our quickly worsening climate crisis, one that Democrats insist will cut greenhouse gas emissions, causing our climate emergency by some 40 percent by 2030. Nonetheless, it was on the energy and environment side that compromise was the most evident between progressives and the right-wing Democrat Joe Manchin, who has long profited from the fossil fuel industry, including his family's own coal business in West Virginia. Clean energy will be fostered with tax credits for buying electric vehicles and manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines. There will be home energy rebates, funds for constructing factories to build clean energy technology and money to promote climate friendly farm practices. There's an idea and reduce pollution in minority communities. But of course, to win his vote, Manchin won billions to help power plants, in theory, lower carbon emissions through what many see as pie-in-the-sky carbon capture technology. He also demanded language requiring more government auctions for drilling on federal lands and waters. Still, most environmental groups hailed the passage as a milestone, including Manish Bapna, the president and CEO of the uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, who described the measure as, quote, tremendous progress. After passage, Hawaii's Democratic Senator Brian Schatz told CNN about the climate provisions in the measure, quote, this isn't about the laws of politics. This is about the laws of physics. We all knew coming into this effort that we had to do what the science tells us what we need to do. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island and frankly tireless champion in both the House and Senate for climate action, he declared on Twitter, quote, after years of toe dipping, we did a first real climate bill. After years of stall, we did a first real pharma bill. Two brute lobbies had to yield a rare day. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse described Sunday. Dr. Michael E. Mann of Penn State University, author of the uh, infamous hockey stick graph, which shook the fight over climate change for years as it illustrated the sharp rise of global temperatures in a nearly perfect alignment with the increase of carbon in the atmosphere since the dawn of the Industrial Age. He tweeted on Sunday with a lightning bolt emoji, quote, The U.S. Senate has now passed landmark 
climate legislation, puts us on a path to meet our obligation to cut carbon emission by in half by 2030, reestablishing American leadership on climate and paving the way to global climate action. Now on to the U.S. House and President Biden, he wrote. Earlier today, I spoke with our friend, the legendary Dr. Mann, who was heading out onto the road for a well-deserved uh, few days off. Michael E. Mann is the Presidential Distinguished Professor and Director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University, and he's the director of the new Penn Center for Science, Sustainability, and the Media at Penn State's Annenberg School for Communications. He's also the author of more than 160 peer-reviewed and edited publications, as well as the books The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dire Predictions, Understanding Climate Change, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy, and The New Climate War, The Fight to Take Back Our Planet. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mann from just about two hours ago today. Michael Mann, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. I know you are literally about to get on the road for a well-deserved few days off, so I greatly <laughs> appreciate your joining us uh, on a rather momentous occasion, I think. Uh, Mike, you have joined us many times over the program on the program over the years. You have remained ridiculously optimistic throughout one failed effort after another to see real climate policy adopted in Congress as the science has become ever more dire, uh, seemingly uh, by the day at this point. But I think we've got some genuinely good news to almost celebrate. Give me your top line observations about the passage of this bill as a whole, as a historic matter, and then we'll get into some of the science here. Yeah, Brad, it's great to talk with you. And it is a good day. Let's, you know, not make any bones about that. Um, this is by far the most aggressive climate legislation. In fact, the only meaningful climate legislation that has ever passed uh, the U.S. Senate, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it looks destined to pass in the House and then become be signed by Joe Biden and become law. Um, you know, let's be clear, this isn't the solution. It's not like we've solved the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole lot more work that's left to be done. But the provisions in this bill, and there are a number of policy experts, you know, who come at this from different directions, making different assumptions, who come to the same bottom line conclusion that if implemented, these policies can achieve a roughly 40 percent reduction in carbon emissions by 2030 in the mm -hmm. United States. Now, let's be clear, we need more than that. Mm -hmm. um, we need at least 50 percent reductions by then if we are to stay on a course to keeping warming below a, a truly catastrophic three degrees Fahrenheit. So, there's a whole lot more work uh, to be done. This doesn't solve the problem. And there's some things in the bill that some of us wish weren't there. There's some, you know, incentives for fossil fuel interests when it comes to uh, uh, leases, drilling leases and, and pipeline construction, that, uh, sort of a few bones that were thrown in to get the support of a coal state Democratic senator in Joe Manchin. Mm -hmm. And one of the points that I've been making over and over again is this is, you know, it, if you look at the totality of what's in the bill, um, you know, on balance, it still represents significant progress. And if you want more progress, if you want more aggressive legislation, and I certainly do, and I think we should expect it, 
then we need a Senate. We need a larger majority in the U.S. Senate that can pass more aggressive climate legislation, and that's all about turning out in these midterm elections and electing, well, let's face it, there's one party right now that's shown any interest in addressing the climate crisis. That's the Democratic Party. The mm-hmm. Republicans are abs- absent uh, in, entirely um, from, from this effort. And so, you know, come out and vote for Democrats and, and establish a large enough majority in the Senate that we don't have to rely on Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, that we can get, you know, even more aggressive legislation through uh, Congress. And, and I'm convinced we can. It's all on us to an extent, um, turning out in this next election. And I want to underscore that point, because it's not a partisan point. The fact of the matter is, not a single Republican in the U.S. Senate was willing to vote for this bill, not one. And I I suspect uh, you, Dr. Mann, uh, I know I would would be delighted to work with any Republican who was willing to move this ball forward, but it's gotten to the point where they're simply just uninterested, period, end of story. Now, uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and your new best friend, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, (laughs) have said, uh, as you noted, that this will decrease greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent by 2030. How will that do that? And and will it do that? Are you as confident as those two non-scientists seem to be that this bill will, in fact, uh, meet that goal? Yeah, and I'm not an economist or a policy uh, expert, mm-hmm. and so I'm going on the analyses by those policy experts uh, that I trust. The Rhodium Group that's done an analysis, uh, uh, Jesse Jenkins at Princeton University, who's uh, one of the leading sort of climate policy analysts, and they, they all come to the conclusion that those numbers hold up, that that 40% is real. And the way it does that, uh, let's actually, it's worth parsing this a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're already on a course to lowering carbon emissions by about 25% just with current policies. Mm-hmm. So it's important for people to understand just based on, you know, the, the increase in renewable energy that we're already seeing, the policies that are already in place to mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, th- th- that do incentivize renewable energy. We're on this trajectory where our carbon emissions are going down. And even if we did nothing more than what we're currently doing, that would give us about 25% reductions by 2030. Mm-hmm. What this does is it ratchets that up um, to about 40% through various programs, um, you know, uh, loans and uh, um, uh, tax incentives mm-hmm. and outright grants right. um, to incentivize uh, both for industry and for consumers renewable energy, manufacturing of solar panels and wind turbines and electric vehicles and uh, tax incentives for, uh, you know, uh, for individuals um, who install uh, solar panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are incentives for the agricultural sort of uh, community um, to engage in more climate-friendly uh, agricultural practices. There are some provisions to lower methane emissions, and mo- methane is a very significant sort of short-term warming mm-hmm. gas mm-hmm. that we need to bring down. And so it does this through a variety of measures. Now, I personally would love to see carbon pricing and Mm. a provision to block new fossil fuel infrastructure and a clean energy uh, standard, a portfolio standard that requires uh, utilities to, uh, you know, provide an increasing large share of their electricity from renewables. These are some of the other provisions I would love to see in there that aren't in there. And all I can say is if we want those sorts of provisions, 
the provisions that'll get us up to that 50 percent, mm-hmm. which is what we need. Get us from that four, from 40 where we are now with this policy to 50 percent. We're going to need once again uh, more senators who will support those uh, sorts of policies. Frankly, you know, Joe Manchin is a coal state Democrat who has you know fiscal ties to the coal industry, and it's you know it, 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 it's sort of silly to expect that he's going to embrace some of these more aggressive measures. We're going to need, you know, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. a larger Democratic majority. And it is unfortunate because there used to be Republicans, um, and, and some of them have sort of disappeared into the woodwork. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lindsey Graham at one time was, you know, supportive of climate policy. Uh, jo- addressing George, the climate Bush, crisis. George Bush and <laughs> Sarah Palin. Uh, he used to talk about, uh, you know, efforts to uh, to deal with oh, climate yeah. change back in oh, yeah. uh, the day. Not not that long ago. No, a- absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, George, you know, uh, W. Bush actually, you know, nominated in uh, um, in Christine Todd Whitman, mm-hmm. the EPA administrator, yeah. who declared carbon dioxide as a pollutant that could be regulated under the Clean Air Act, yep. uh, something that the conservative court now is is fighting back against and so yeah they were not on the wrong always on the wrong side of this and there are even some and then the point i was making there are some senators who are there today mm-hmm. who were on the right side and have retrenched mm-hmm. into sort of this um you know this denialist or delayist stance in the era of trumpism uh, which is very disappointing um you know and uh, you know uh, from Alaska, uh, Murkowski, yeah. um, in Maine, uh, uh, Susan Collins, um, they were all on the right side of this issue not too long ago, but it's become a litmus test in this extremely reactionary Republican Party that we have today and to, to, to oppose to oppose climate action. Yeah, and uh, to, to be fair, uh, there are a number of folks on the left who either feel that this measure, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, does not go nearly far enough. Uh, Bernie Sanders has talked about that, of course. Uh, or they're troubled by the giveaways that you cited, uh, Mike, within the fossil, uh, you know, giveaways within the bill to the fossil fuel industry, expansion of auctions of public lands yep. and, and waters uh, for fossil fuel projects. That's in there. That was necessary to get Joe Manchin's vote, essentially. But do those things mitigate the efforts to reduce emissions? Just scientifically, uh, are we are we running in place with all of these uh, with with what seems to be potentially expansion of fossil fuel uh, infrastructure and drilling? Yeah, and so it's a fair point. It's one of the reasons that I've emphasized. You know, that it's maybe the best thing that we can get with a fifty-fifty Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we we ought to you know, try to get something better. And when you add up all the numbers, so include, you know, there's the good and the bad. On balance, the good wins out. And Mm -hmm. so those numbers really do hold up. Part of why they hold up is that these expanded leases and pipelines, if the measures to incentivize, to subsidize renewable energy are effective, and a lot of the uh, policy experts will point this out, you know, if the carrot works, Mm -hmm. it becomes a stick, Mm -hmm. um, which is to say, if we incentivize renewable energy enough, then fossil fuel energy is no longer competitive, um, and it's too expensive, mm. and they can't get the investments to build. Even if they're, they've been allowed the permitting of these leases and these pipelines, 
they're not going to be able to get the investments. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen investments start to fall apart as some of the larger investment firms say, this is not a good long-term investment, either for our planet or even for our economy, because we understand there's what's known as transition risk. We're going to get off the burning of fossil fuels. We know we have to do it, and that makes a long-term investment in fossil fuels a bad investment. And so taking that into account, even though it looks like we're providing these um, these leases for new fossil fuel infrastructure, mm-hmm. if the carrot in the bill for renewable energy works, those will not be viable investments, and they will not that, that infrastructure won't get built, mm-hmm. and those pipelines and leases won't be built, yep. uh, the, and, and oil wells won't be built. I know you got to go. There was uh, one study that finds, uh, I believe it's for every ton of carbon that this bill could put into the atmosphere, it actually removes some 26 tons of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Uh, do do uh, I don't know if you've seen that particular study or if you uh, concur with that assessment. Uh, yeah. how, how much is eventually needed uh, to remove uh, from the atmosphere to meet this moment? Any sense of that? Yeah, and so I'm a little skeptical about those provisions, to be honest. And part of if, if you ask me what is it that I don't like about the bill, mm-hmm. that would be one of the things. You know, this reliance on supposed new tech, uh, mm-hmm. carbon capture and sequestration, um, that where there's no evidence that that can actually be built um, at scale mm-hmm. um, in, in, in a way that's economically viable, um, or you know, that it makes more sense than solving the problem at source. You know, rather than trying to pull the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, you know, it's much more, uh, much easier not putting it in there in the first mm-hmm. place. And so uh, I'm a little skeptical about that. It, it doesn't make up, you know, and in, in if the estimates of the reductions were overly reliant on those provisions, I would be a little nervous. I think the main provisions here that, that lead to those, uh, you know, estimated reductions really are, the the subsidies and incentives for renewable energy that's real you know that that's mm-hmm. tangible the um you know the, the carbon capture um that that to some extent there's a danger of a shell game there and mm-hmm. so i would like to see less and less emphasis on that sort of stuff and more and more emphasis on the known way to solve this problem which is to get off the burning of fossil fuels in the first place I'm with you there. Uh, Michael Mann, I know you got to get to vacation. Uh, Well-deserved a few days off, I should say, after, oh, I don't know, a decade or two of fighting this battle. You deserve a day off or two. Uh, so I just want to say, hey, congratulations. I think they are uh, due to you. Many, uh, uh, your, your tireless fight, your, your testimony before Congress, trying to get them to move. Congratulations uh, to you there, and thank you for that effort and for joining us over so many of these years, keeping us from jumping off the ledge and saying, (laughs) no, progress is still possible. Uh, Good news today, indeed. Thank you, Dr. Michael E. Mann. You can find his work at michaelmann.net, and, of course, you should follow him on the Twitters at Michael E. Mann. Thank you, sir. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. The pleasure is ours. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break here and come back uh, maybe with your calls. If you'd like to ring in on any of this, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK when yeah, you call in. Yeah, and I would in. like to weigh in yes. on this, too. Yes. <laughs> so All right. Oh, you've got back. a thought or two? I've got some thoughts, yeah. All right, we'll come back with your thoughts as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, when you do call in, 818-985-5735, uh, hit uh, button number one to talk to us on the air. Otherwise, if you're calling the donate, as we are in the middle of a fun drive, you'll need to hit button. Button number two. 
hit both of those buttons. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with some sad news there. Olivia Newton-John, the Australian singer, uh, whose breathy voice and wholesome beauty, as AP describes it, made her one of the biggest pop stars of the 1970s. Uh, who is still charming generations of viewers in the blockbuster movie Grease. Well, she died on Monday, according to a statement from her husband. Quote, Dame Olivia Newton-John passed away peacefully at her ranch in Southern California this morning, surrounded by family and friends, according to her husband in a statement. The singer revealed in September of 2018 that she was treating cancer at the base of her spine. It was her third diagnosis following bouts with breast cancer in the early 90s and in 2017. Olivia Newton-John dead at 73. All right, we are. Uh, we have some time for some calls, 818-985-KPFK. If you have questions, thoughts on, the, uh, on uh, this uh, inf- so-called Inflation Reduction Act, Desi can answer all of them. She, as a matter of fact, has read all <laughs> 75, 755 pages of that bill and can tell you anything you need to know. Very I will qu- try. Very quickly, uh, I do need to note that voters are heading to the polls on Tuesday for midterm primaries in Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin. Don't miss your miss your chance to uh, take part in those primaries. We will, of course, cover any noteworthy problems for voters at the polls, noteworthy results in the days ahead. We've got some other results from last week's primaries that we will uh, try to get to in the days ahead. But let me try to get to uh, at least a couple of your calls here. 818-985-5735. Let's go to uh, Harold in Redlands. Hey, Harold, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for making me laugh. And uh, your uh, your guest is highly optimistic. I mean, he's like uh, a salesman that's selling hot tea on a hot day like this. But my question is, as California, mm-hmm. can we help by not having both the World Cup and the Olympics here in L.A.? Because the cost on other states, Nevada, Arizona, 
because we're going to have to take their water, plus the mm. heat of all the traffic, it's going to affect our giant redwoods. I mean, the hotter it is, the taller the tree has to be to get the moisture to do its thing. Well, great point, Harold, actually. And I had not uh, hadn't thought about that, hadn't heard any uh, critique of that. And that, you know, the first thing when you said, oh, do we have to have the uh, the Olympics and, and uh, was it World Cup soccer as well? Uh, when you said that, I thought, well, if we don't hold them, they will be held elsewhere. They will be held somewhere else anyway, using up that same energy. But you make a good point in one sense that. Uh, you know, it means a lot more water needed here in uh, uh, California in an extreme drought. On the other hand, I suspect, or maybe it is that I just hope that uh, our Olympics here in California will be a lot more climate friendly than, say, Olympics held in, oh, I don't know, Dallas, Texas. N- nothing against <laughs> Dallas. Uh, you know, Utah, et cetera. So there is that as well. Hopefully that mitigates. Uh, by the way, as far as, uh, and Des, I know you want to ring in on this in a second, but uh, as far as the um, optimism of Michael Mann, again, this is the guy who has been ringing the alarm bells about climate change for years. And I'm always stunned when he comes on the show, as he has for more than a decade now, uh, you know, being optimistic, saying we can move ahead, we can change. There is no there is nothing to get out of uh, doomerism, as they call it. Doomism. Is that what they call it? Uh, You know that, oh, there's nothing we can do at this point. So let's just enjoy going down with the ship. Des, did you have uh, some thoughts uh, for for Harold on this? Oh, yeah, totally. So, you know, I, I agree with you that if these events would be held elsewhere, that they would not be in places with standards that are high like California has. And of mm-hmm. course, those standards could be higher, yep. but they are probably the best in the world when it comes to these kinds of events and these kinds of venues. And and the larger point being that, sure, these individual events are going to have huge footprints, but the idea here is to shift the entire economy not to just try to target one-off events, which, you know, I can understand, but these are already rolling and they're not going to be canceled. So let's make them as good as we possibly can and then work toward that wider economy-wide shift that would be the most helpful and direct way to reduce all of the carbon imprints and carbon footprint and water footprints Mm -hmm. of all of these events everywhere. Dr. Uh, Leah Stokes, who we had on from UC Santa Barbara a couple of weeks ago, she's a climate policy expert. She she said that, you know, uh, uh, fighting climate, the climate crisis does not have to be about sacrifice, that there is that there are ways. And in fact, this bill includes a lot of those ways to make it cheaper, easier for people to buy electric cars, heat pumps, solar panels, et cetera. Um, her point, and I don't know if she's right or not, is that we don't have to sacrifice as some suggest we will have to, some who maybe are, uh, you know, working together with the fossil fuel industry. Does that uh, respond to some of your thoughts, Harold? Uh, actually, uh, I felt like I just uh, ate crow, and I have to agree. <laughs> uh, now I'm an optimist, so uh, there you I'm go. Not selling hot tea. There you go. I'll have I'll have a cup of uh, hot tea, please, uh, along with that along with that uh, plate of crow. Thank you, Harold. Appreciate that call, my friend. 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. And I should note, by the way, 
uh, you know, whenever I open up the phones on KPFK, year because years ago we used to get all kinds of folks on the left telling us, oh, it was all a hoax. Well, we don't hear from those folks anymore, but I kind of thought I was going to hear people from the left complaining about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, as we saw a lot of them on Twitter. By the way, you can tweet me. I am the Brad blog. But I guess they don't want to call in for some reason, Des. Yeah, I, you know, I have been uh, having lots of engagement and discussions with people on Twitter, for example, who are very, very upset and understandably so about the giveaways to the fossil fuel industry in the Inflation Reduction Act. Those are things that obviously had to be in there in order to secure passage from if you wanted anything. Yes, if you wanted anything. So, you know, sure. You know, the thing about climate change is that this is a massive, globally complex issue, and you can end up in situations where a policy that uh, can be both the biggest reduction in CO2 emissions in history and also be completely inadequate. So it is possible, and that is where we are. But in other words, the the, the steps start here, and this is better than nothing. And $370 billion is not nothing. 818 985 KPFK. Let me go to uh, Mike in L.A., our old friend Mike. Hey, Mike. Welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. You know, I'm feeling a lot more confident uh, about the world uh, and the survival of the human race for another six billion years than I was last week. <laughs> well. uh, a couple of, couple of reasons for that. One is that Democratic politicians finally mastered the art of forming a straight rank mm. other than a circular firing squad. Yeah. In, the other is that uh, 14% of Senate Republicans managed for one brief shining, shining moment before they relented to put the uh, survival of kids with insulin-dependent diabetes ahead of gouging by a corporation. H- how many Republicans did you say? 14%. Oh, oh, 14%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was, it was seven Republicans. Seven Republicans were willing to put a limit on insulin for children and everyone else on the, uh, on the private uh, insurance market uh, at $35 a month. The rest of them, the ones who are out there complaining about Joe Biden, Bidenflation, and how Democrats are raising your costs. Well, tell it to someone who has a child with diabetes who has to pay thousands of dollars for insulin. And by the way, yeah. do you know how much money Big Pharma in the U.S. spent on developing uh, insulin for human uh, supplementation? I, I have a guess, but let me let you say it. It's zero. That's what I was going to guess. They, yeah. And devoted an equal amount of energy to the task. It was done by a Canadian physician mm-hmm. more than a century ago. And, of course, it was public domain and still is. And that doesn't keep Big Pharma from making gazillions of dollars from it. And it doesn't uh, keep uh, the Republicans in the U.S. Senate from supporting them for doing so. Thanks, Mike. Always good to hear from you, my friend. Appreciate the call. Um, You know, I've long been arguing that those who are counting on uh, so-called conventional wisdom to predict a Democratic thumping this November, that they should be ignored, given that these are anything but conventional times. There was a huge win last week for Democrats and for freedom, frankly, in Kansas, of all places. That would seem to support that argument. So would the passage of this bill. 
So with the passage, by the way, of last year's $2 trillion infrastructure bill, the CHIPS bill to invest $50 billion to produce critical semiconductor chips here in the U.S., um, the, uh, the first gun safety legislation in 30 years, unemployment now at a 50-year record low. The economy last Friday added an astounding 528,000 jobs in July, as we heard on Friday. Uh, and now this huge legislative win, if it is a legislative win, it's still got to get through the House. Let's see what happens on Friday. Until then, we will be right here with you on the broadcast, and I hope you will be right here with us. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Gary Baca, to my guest today, Dr. Michael E. Mann of Penn State University, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It's always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at TheBradBlog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Say,